I am Michaela English, and welcome to my podcast, The Corrupted System. Today, I will be talking to you about what aspects of the justice system that could lead to corruption. In today's world, it seems that everything is corrupt, that wherever we look, there is always something wrong. There is always something going bad, and it seems that it can't be put to a stop. But we also don't know is where this is coming from either. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what I am here to talk to you about today. I am here to try and clarify where those sources may be coming from and what could possibly be done about it, giving a possible solution to this crisis. So today, I'm first going to start off with the one person that we look to the most when we are talking about justice in the courts, the judge. Some may argue that judges get too much power. However, they are supposed to be impartial and unbiased, but are all judges that way? And unfortunately, the honest answer to that question would be no. However, we don't exactly know why this is, so this is what we're going to get into first. A heavy influence that I see in having judges be more biased to one party or another is money. Money does a lot, especially in the case of a court system, in the persuasion of having one judge favor somebody over another. When judges are selected, they are meant to be unbiased and to give everyone a fair and equal trial. However, this doesn't always happen, and in how secretive money is influencing the judicial system, Alicia Bannon says that they are in an endeavor to treat us all as equals in the eyes of the law. Now let's talk about that for a second. Judges are meant to be there to give a fair trial to everyone. Their job is to interpret the law so that they are giving equal punishment to everyone, no matter the offender present or prosecutor or whoever may be in that courtroom. The judge's job is only to give out a fair punishment based on the crime that is committed and nothing else. So you may be asking, how does money play a role into this? Well, you have big companies like oil and gas companies who will pay lots of money for certain judges that they favor to be elected only to cover their butt in the case of a lawsuit. In one instance of this, in how secretive money is influencing the judicial system, quote, a race for a single seat attracted nearly $5 million in spending. It seems like a lot of money just for one judge to be elected. Says a lot, doesn't it? So by the influence of spending a lot of this money for a judge's election or re-election, it can have an impact where they are required to go by the law, but they may feel pressure to rule in the favor of their donor. So that brings up another question. Where is this money coming from? Who is the judge working for? Or who is the benefactor of his decisions? If leaving it to the state of the Supreme Courts, are the judges taking this money and we don't know where it comes from? We can speculate as much as we want, but we don't always know the answers. In a new report, we found that secret that secretive money have begun making unprecedented efforts to influence state Supreme Courts, says Alicia Bannon in How Secretive Money is Influencing the Judicial System. 
about more than half of all outside spending, a lot of Supreme Court races was, quote, dark money. In more recent years, a good portion of money being sent is secretive money, going to either the judges or the elections to influence those in a position of power. So while it seems that judges have the most power and the most influence, majority of the corruption must come from them, right? Wrong. It also comes from different people in the justice system, aka prosecutors. Prosecutors also seem to have a lot of power when it comes to the court system. The prosecutors are the ones who look at a case and decide, is this really a case I want to take to court? They get all the power. They get no outside influence. They don't have to rely on somebody else to say like, hey, I don't think we should do this. Or like, hey, I think we should do this. It's a lot of power for just one person. So let's dive a little bit more into this. In the Serial Podcast in episode one, they say, innocence is a misdemeanor. You can't plead innocent in the court. If they can't prove you guilty, they must charge you with something smaller. Now that doesn't necessarily cause corruption, but it does sound like it, especially to an outside person. Saying you can't plead innocent to something you didn't do Seems like everybody just has to be guilty of something. So if you want to follow an example of this, Serial's podcast. Start by following a case of a bar fight where a young woman had assaulted a police officer. Where video footage of this clearly shows what happened. The lady was being harassed by a few people, which resulted in a physical conflict. An off-duty officer was walking out of the bathroom when he had come up behind her and she hit him in the face. This case then came to the prosecutor, who wanted to charge the woman with a felony charge of assault on a police officer. In reviewing the video, it looked to be an accident, with the police officer involved saying it was an accident. So why do we let prosecutors have all this power? It's a big decision for only one person to make, depending on the case, like this one, which appears to be an accident. Some things may need to be looked at from a different perspective. If you look at the situation and the prosecutor having the final say, there could be some corruption in the prosecutor's office. However, this isn't saying that all prosecutors are corrupt. But I do have one example of a prosecutor who does display some signs of corruption. Let me explain. Kimberly Gardner. She is the circuit attorney for the city of St. Louis, Missouri. She has made quite a name of herself since her 2016 election and her re-election in 2020. She has gained a reputation for her pro-criminal and anti-victim policies, as well as her other ideas for reform. In a piece from 60 Minutes, they say she went right to work. She stopped locking up nonviolent offenders, dropped low-level drug cases, and ended cash bail. This seems to be her version of reform. But let's take a look at how this is going. As of 2020, the city of St. Louis suffered through 264 homicides. That's a 36.1% increase from the previous year. 
However, if we look at this on a per capita basis, last year's murder rate was significantly higher because the city of St. Louis today has about 87,000 fewer residents than it did in 1993, meaning that the per capita murder rate in 1993 was 69 per 100,000 residents, while in 2020, it was 87 murders per 100,000 residents. That's the highest per capita murder rate on record for the city in over 50 years. Now, all of these numbers have no direct correlation to Kimberly Gardner's re-election in 2020. However, with her statements of being more pro-criminal and anti-victim, this situation doesn't look good for her. Since Kimberly Gardner is the chief prosecutor of St. Louis, she has to crack down on crime, especially on these homicides, since the number only seems to be getting higher. However, since her election, her office is charging a lower amount of felonies. Gardner's platform is to try and reduce the number of cases unnecessarily charged in order to try and focus on more difficult cases. In a perfect world, it wouldn't seem like such a big deal. But when you have a growing number of homicide cases, then it becomes more of an issue. While I understand the focus of dropping lower felony charges, we don't know for a fact that this is what she's doing. Gardner could be dropping more severe cases, which would not be good, especially in the condition that St. Louis currently has. Gardner's platform could be letting her letting off dangerous criminals, the exact opposite of what her job should be. This is only one prosecutor. This is not to say that all prosecutors are just like her. But she is a good example of what we don't want our prosecutors doing, which is letting off potentially dangerous criminals just so they can follow their own agenda. So in conclusion to my podcast today, the prosecutors nor the judge base their decision on not on political factors, but on truth factors based upon the evidence presented for each individual situation. I'm Michaela English and thank you for listening to The Corrupted System.